This episode is brought to you by Teamy Blends. Teamy Blends is a tea and wellness company with amazing detox loose leaf teas and other incredible products. You guys know I am super picky about the brands I work with, and I am seriously so impressed by Teamy Blends. Their ingredients are all hand-selected and ethically sourced with super high-quality stuff. Like they use kaffir lime that helps detoxify the blood, and they also have stuff like Yerba Mate that boosts energy and improves mental focus to valerian root that reduces anxiety and stress. I am all about high-quality and ethically sourced shit, you guys, and Teamy Blends does that the work. And it's Girl Boss Founded too, which you know I'm all about. I personally have been loving their 30-day detox and have been feeling so much less bloated and super, super high energy because of it. So check it out. You can go to teamyblends.com. That's T-E-A-M-I blends um, and use the code L-Y-F-Y-L, that's short for Live Your Fuck Yes Life, for 15% off your purchase. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast, your place for all things health, wellness, self-care, and real talk. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, health coach, actor, and badass extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought with some serious real talk to help you find your passion, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, 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 you guys. Welcome to episode 39 of the Live Your Fuck Yes Life pod. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, your host extraordinaire, and today is a really special episode. We are rounding out the last week of the month of October, and as you guys know, Breast cancer awareness is uh, this month, is what this month is dedicated towards. And I thought it was no perfect time, better time to share this conversation with you. I was so, so, so honored to have a conversation on my wonderful friend, Jen Willie's podcast. She's been on my podcast before. She has an incredible podcast called First and Foremost. Um, I'll link that to in the show notes as well. Um, and she had me on um, a couple weeks ago um, chatting all about the BRCA gene and my uh, journey with what I'm personally doing this year um, with respect to my genetic testing and attached to breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And I shared a lot of information on that conversation. And I know so many of you guys have resonated with me talking about this in my previous podcast. If you have not listened to this podcast before and you are new here, hello, welcome. Um, I am so excited to share this part of my journey with you and raise awareness for this. Um, You can go back to previous episodes. I'll link them in the show notes too where I touch upon this. But this is the first time where I really, really dove in in a public setting um, to the statistics behind this, to what you can do, um, whether you are a man, a woman, um, a non-binary person to really, really get the knowledge um, that you need for your own self when it comes to breast and ovarian cancer. It is something I'm really, really passionate about. And we talk a lot about 
um, not just the statistics attached to that, but also the things that I am have been doing this year that have shifted from a self-care standpoint um, and so, so, so many more things. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Again, this was on Jen's podcast, so she kind of treated it as the host and I'm the interviewee. So that'll be kind of a fun flip of the switch for you guys to listen to. Um, and I'm really excited to dive in. So I'm just going to head right into it this week. So I hope you guys are having an amazing week and here's the conversation. Amanda, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. You are just a ray of light in my life, and I'm really excited to talk to you today about your path and your journey and just the things that you're passionate about and the the way that you are kind of inspiring others to really take authentic care of themselves through the things that you're learning in your own life. And before we get into all that goodness, I (laughs) always love to kick off every episode just by asking, what is one thing that you do for yourself daily? Ooh, I love that question. Well, first of all, I adore you to the moon. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. Um, And one thing I do for myself daily. So, um, Probably my morning me time is my biggest thing. If I don't have that, I feel like a crazy lunatic for the rest of the day. Um, It is just my time for me. Um, I'm really blessed that I've, I now work for myself. So I've been able to kind of expand it into something that's more like a two hour morning me time um, (laughs) filled with reading and journaling and meditating and and moving my body and working out. Um, But it used to be when I was working full time, even just a 30 minute window um, for myself. And so I think just setting time aside for you before your day starts to really get grounded. Um, that's for me, the biggest thing on the planet and something that if I don't do, I'm a mess. <laughs> you know, what a gift to be able to spend that stretch of time now being able mm-hmm. to really like slow down and really get clear on what you need for yourself and how you can take care of you. In that, so you do get a lot of time to take care of yourself to I kind do. of kick off the day, which is such a gift. Um, in that window, would you say there are any non-negotiables that you're like, even if my morning went to the crapper mm-hmm. today, <laughs> yeah. you know, like what would be, you know, one or two essential things that you, you know, really need to kind of like kick off the day? Is there anything that comes to mind right away? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you know, exercise is key for me. If I don't move my body in some way, even if that's just going for a walk with my dog, like a longer walk with my dog. Um, but usually it's something like uh, high intensity interval training, strength training, or just yoga at my house. Like I need to move my body or my anxiety is off the charts for the day. So it used to be for, for my body and it still is obviously for, to keep my joints healthy. But for me, it's become a really, especially this year. And we'll get into that more very soon, I'm sure. But this year it's been key for me and my mental health. Um, so that is always a non-negotiable first thing. And, um, also I got into this summer when I was really busy and did not have the luxury of the two hours. Um, I got into this daily gratitude practice where I would write down three things every day that I'm grateful for. And what was different about this was that it had to be something different every day. I couldn't go back and repeat the same thing. Um, and that got me really outside of my comfort zone of just saying my dog and cuddles and green tea, (laughs) which is like what always used to be my go-tos, but that, that takes two minutes to write down. Um, but just starting from a place of gratitude has been really helpful for a positive mindset for sure. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. I think there's definitely 
some parallel, I think, and just, you know, the way that you align your morning with what you have seen kind of play out as like a positive in your own life mm-hmm. to the, just, I, I think about all the people that you surround yourself with and I've gotten to know many of those wonderful ladies as well. And I feel like <laughs> you have done a beautiful job of attracting people in your life who just radiate that love and joy and positivity. And I am curious, you know, is there like how, for somebody that's maybe out there like wanting to attract the right people or their friends or whatever that is like, what has been in your kind of reflections? Like what's been a key anchor in that for you and like attracting people that, you know, and I don't want to say that are like you because you are, you are your only you, but they're just, you, you roll with a pretty awesome crowd. So what do you have (laughs) to say to that? Well, I just also want to say that that was not always the case. Um, you know, I I mean, I, I I have some really wonderful friends that have been a part of my life for a long time, but there was a period of time not too long ago where I was not this positive ray of light that you see on Instagram or in real life. I mean, Jen, we've had the most incredible opportunity to get to know each other in a deep deep, deep way by living so close to one another. And that's been such a gift. Um, and you are one of those positive ray of lights that I feel like so blessed to have in my life as well. But, you know, it was not always the case. I was, I, a few years ago, I mean, even just three years ago, I was in a really negative space and very irritable and high anxiety and doing things I didn't love um, work-wise, um, life-wise, I wasn't taking care of myself. And I think when you start to really invest in yourself, in your health, um, in actively working towards surrounding yourself with positivity and not just people, because that's not going to happen, right? You attract what you put into the universe. I believe that so much. And I've seen that so much for my own life. And I think three years ago, I had a quarter life crisis, like breakdown bathroom moment, and was very tired of the life I was living. Um, specifically the work I was doing and I was drained and exhausted and I was putting out so much negative energy into the universe. And so I was attracting negative people into my life and that cycle perpetuated. So I think doing the work for yourself first and investing in yourself um, and deciding to show up with positivity, even when you don't understand where it's going, even when it doesn't feel like the world is a happy place for you. Um, I think it just has naturally brought in so many people out there, but also having the courage to, to share that and pay that forward has been huge for me. And I don't think there's no way that I would have brought into my life, the incredible humans that are here now, if it hadn't been for that. I mean, so many of them are people I've met online, um, you know, which is a whirlwind and a beautiful thing. I mean, that's how we met, right? And that's how so many other of the incredible relationships that I've fostered in the past couple of years have been. Um, and they're just gifts now that I'm so grateful for. That's so big. And I, you know, I'm over here kind of like nodding my head because I too can kind of remember that quarter life, you know, period where things were just shifting. And, and I think it's kind of natural that some of those friendships just tend to ebb and flow. But I think yeah. it's so beautiful that, you know, in your reflections, you've kind of noticed like there are some key things that, you know, have been really helpful in just kind of growing and leaning into more and more of your own right people. So thank you for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. Amanda, before we get into 
the juicy stuff that I'm really just <laughs> wanting to pick your brain on. Um, mm-hmm. And thank you so much for being on today and, and being willing to talk about some of these things because I know it's not the easiest. Um, for people out there that don't know you, can you kind of give a little background insight into just, you know, your your experiences, your background, like what brought you here, your story in a nutshell. Yeah. And also, as I say that, the little baby girl's kicking very strongly inside. So she's like, I want to hear. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my gosh. My heart. I can't. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I as always, I feel like this could be the longest thing in the world. So I'll try to keep it condensed. But um, I've had a really weird roller coaster. Um, I, what, what I now live in is a multi-passionate entrepreneur space, but I have not always been here. And what started off as like, I, I grew up in a super, super awesome space. I have a wonderful family. I'm from Canada, um, specifically I grew up in Toronto. I loved my life. Um, but I grew up super like perfectionist type a did everything by the books kind of gal. And that led to me deciding I was going to, you know, do an English degree because that's what I was good at and become a lawyer because that's what all of the people around me were doing. And um, that was my path. And um, what I didn't even consider for a second was pursuing anything else outside of that. Um, And my mom sat me down at the end of high school and was like, you love to sing and you love theater. And I'd been singing and acting since I was six and doing all sorts of things. I was the person that did everything on the planet. I was like volleyball. I just overachiever central. Um, but I did, I love to sing more than anything on the planet, but I never for a second considered doing that as a career. And, um, her having the courage to stand up and tell me like that was an option um, because my mom is a lawyer, right? Like she, she, you know, she had a, has a love for music as well, but her, her end up path was a lawyer. Um, and so I kind of pivoted my entire life and what I thought was okay to pursue in that moment. And I'm grateful I had that, you know, at 17, um, because I know a lot of people, don't have that moment until like later in their twenties or early thirties, whether they've been working the same career. And I know you have this experience too, you know, we've been working the same profession you thought you were going to do for your whole life. And then all of a sudden that's not fulfilling you anymore. And you realize that there's this deeper, you know, rooted passion. Um, so I'm so grateful I had that. And that's what led me to moving to Chicago and pursuing musical theater. And I am now a full-time, well, when I'm working at least on a show actor, um, I've had very, so many incredible experiences in the Chicago area, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and since then, you know, I've, I've had a lot of success in that area, but it's also been really, really hard. Um, acting is a, a career that is challenging a, because you don't make a lot of money doing it, especially if you're not doing TV and commercial and, and film work, which I, I do more th- uh, stage work. But B, because um, it's all about the way you look. And I uh, was told many times in my, <laughs> in my collegiate career that I needed to lose weight if I wanted to work. And I, you know, I put on a lot of weight in college my first year, and that's what perpetuated and what started my path on this health and wellness journey that I've been on. And I know you also can relate in this facet, but for me, it was a really negative cycle that I was on for probably six years of um, orthorexia, which if you don't know what that term means, it's um, basically over-exercising um, off of all of the calories that you've been ingesting or 
exercising to extreme amounts. I was in the gym for two hours a day, every day. Um, and then in, in tandem with that, I would go home and binge eat because I was, you know, my body was a mess and I was emotionally not present and, um, mentally unstable and I would eat to fuel that and eat to numb out all the stuff. So it was a really, really challenging cycle. Um, and one that led to this breakdown that I had, um, you know, pretty much a month after I got married, um, I came back from my mini moon and hubby came home, found me on the floor of my bathroom, <laughs> sobbing, um, because I was unhealthy because I had been working seven part-time jobs to get by. And I was just on this hamster wheel that felt like it was never going to end and not really focusing on the things that I wanted to do and feeling like crap. Um, and so that was in 2015 and about a month later, I decided to start my own business, um, and be able to get myself healthy. And so that's what, what I did. I, I started becoming a health and fitness coach, um, mostly honestly for myself at first. Um, but it's evolved into this crazy entrepreneurial path that I could have never imagined, um, you know, I was able to quit all my part-time teaching jobs and nannying jobs and all the crap that I was doing before um, and just focus on the things that light me up, which right now are, you know, my health and fitness coaching clients that I love to work with. Um, I, you know, focus on helping women ditch the diet and find joy in fitness. Uh, my whole tagline is live a fuck yes life because I truly believe that if you are doing things that don't light you up, what the fuck is the point? Um, I hope it's okay if I swear. <laughs> You're good. Um, <laughs> we'll make this one explicit. <laughs> Adult I was like, I don't years. think there could ever be an episode with me that's not explicit. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then with that, you know, I also started my podcast this year, um, which is called Live Your Fuck Yes Life, which has been such a gift. And um, we're starting running events in Chicago that Jen was actually a, a speaker at, our very first one, which was so incredible. Um, and, uh, and I'm running my first retreat and literally, well, you're probably listening to this later, but it's happening the first weekend of October, which is so incredible and just been such a gift. So that's been my life alongside acting. And I, it's, it's so crazy to think back to three years ago where I was at, because I don't even recognize that woman, but I'm just so grateful for all of the things that have transpired in the meantime. And even though this year has been really hard for me personally, which I know we are going to dive into um, very soon, um, it's been such an anchor to have all of these tools at my fingertips and and all of these things that I'm pouring myself into that actually light me up um, and have allowed me to coexist with what I've been navigating. So, I think that's pretty awesome that you have kind of come full circle in, you know, kind of the beginning of your journey where, you know, you're kind of going through that quarter, what is it, the quarter life crisis where you're trying to figure everything out and just really come to terms with who you are, what you are, what you like, what you enjoy, your passions, and to have your mom kind of mirror that for you and, and give you permission in a way to kind of explore yeah. that piece. And you know, and through that, like the struggle and the, the acceptance of self and, and kind of identifying like with what you love and, and giving it space and allowing it to grow. And the twenties are so freaking hard, you know, like when you're talking about orthorexia and really getting yourself healthy, I just, my heart totally like just 
wants to give you the biggest hug right now because, you know, we have shared these stories with each other before and, you know, I I totally empathize with what you've gone through because I have walked a very similar path and, and I'm so grateful for you, Amanda, that you, you know, have one, come to this space in your life where you've found freedom and two, that you have found the courage to share it with others. Cause I think that is a very vulnerable place to be and you're doing it. And I'm so <laughs> freaking proud of you. So you've mentioned, and we've, you know, we've kind of hinted that we were going to get into some other like harder topics and, you know, you have been very candid in your social media presence about some of the things that you're currently going through. And um, I'm going to kind of leave it at that. Can you kind of share with listeners like, what's, what's on your heart these days in terms of your health and what you're going through? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sharing has been so key, honestly, for me this year, because it's interesting because I normally share things after I've navigated them, but this year has been very different. I've been sharing as I've gone. Um, and that's been, very, very vulnerable for me. Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful that it's made an impact. Um, but also it's been really challenging, um, because yeah, so I walked into 2018 feeling better than I ever have. I just felt like everything was really set and I had an understanding of where my life was going. And, uh, um, I like to do this thing, uh, you know, my new year's, I don't really do new year's resolutions. I kind of think they're a load of BS, but, um, what I do love to do is set an intention word for my year. And I have spent a lot of time intentionally breaking free of these boxes that I had put myself into the perfectionist, the overachiever, the, uh, you know, need to go on this particular career path box for so long, um, and I've been breaking free of those perpetually for the past couple of years. But what I really wanted to do this year was face my fears head on in a new way. And so my word of the year was unapologetic. And it's really been my word that has led me all year, all year long, which is ironic because I don't think I understood the full meaning of it until later on. But um, for me, the biggest fear that I had um, – was related to, uh, cancer because my, my dad's mom, when he was 18 and she was 44, passed away from breast cancer. And this has been something that obviously I've navigated my whole life because I grew up with a dad who didn't have a mom, you know, present and hearing all these stories about her, but not knowing her. Um, and, but also feeling this, I'm probably going to get emotional. I talk about this, but also feeling this, um, incredible connection to her from a very young age that I couldn't really understand. It's really bizarre to have, feel like you have a connection to someone who's never, you've never met. Um, but I just did. And, um, I would always have people who knew her tell me that I reminded them so much of her. Um, and, uh, when I was in college, so my sophomore year, um, there've been obviously a lot of incredible research and, and so many advancements in the cancer, cancer industry, specifically with breast cancer, because it is so prevalent. Um, but, um, my dad, um, found out that there was this, um, testing that you could do for, um, predispositions and genetic predispositions to specifically breast cancer. Um, and because there's family history with his mom having passed away at, at quite a young age, you know, 44 is young, um, 
to be diagnosed, you know, she was diagnosed at 42. So it's very young. Um, he and his two sisters decided to get tested, um, for this mutation. And, um, he found out that he was positive for the mutation, um, and that his sisters were both negative, which is fantastic. Um, and so great. And, um, and just has been a relief for the rest of my family. Um, but that also meant that, um, you know, myself and my brother were at a very high risk of also having the mutation. Um, it, the specific mutation that we're talking about is called BRCA. So BRCA, and there are two forms of it, BRCA1 and BRCA2, and we can get into kind of the differentiations in a little bit if you want, but my dad has BRCA1 because he has it, have a 50, 50 chance of also getting the mutation. It's, it's genetically, you know, passed down in that way. Um, and he told me immediately, you know, my, my, my dad and my mom are both some of the most open humans I know. And they wanted to make sure that I knew, um, what my potential risks were. And they really, really pushed for me to get tested. And I was 20 and I was going through college. I was knee deep in my eating disorder phase and I wanted nothing to do with this test. I was really, really against it. Um, I knew that if I got the test and I found out that the answer was positive, that I would not be able to deal with it. And so I didn't get tested, um, which in some ways, you know, a lot of people have asked me if I regret not getting tested sooner. And while yes, in some ways I, I advocate for getting tested as soon as you know, this is a possibility because it can really change your life. And I've met in the past year, so many women under the age of 25 who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, who have the gene and didn't know. Um, and it's really, really something I, I highly recommend, but I'm also grateful and believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, and I'm grateful that I waited because I knew this year when I decided to get tested in January, that, um, if the answer was positive, which deep down I knew it was, um, that I, I had the strength in me to navigate the rest of this year. Um, and that's exactly what happened. I got my blood test. It's literally through a blood test. Um, you have to go through your doctor to get, um, to get it kind of scheduled and stuff and make sure the paperwork is in place. And it's actually, unfortunately challenging to get if there's no history of breast cancer, or if nobody in your family knows they already have the genetic mutation, it can be quite challenging. And at least in the United States in Canada it was a lot easier. Um, but I, you know, luckily have the paperwork that my dad is a carrier. And so I was able to get um, my blood test very easily. And two and a half weeks later, uh, two days after my 27th birthday, um, I found out by a call from my doctor that um, I also am positive for the BRCA1 gene. Um, and I knew that that was the answer. Like I said, I intuitively your body. I don't know. I've always known that I had it and I've lived in fear of that answer for a very long time. And the day of, I was a mess. And when I found out, I literally, I called my, my dad and my mom, they were together and I called them and I told them, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, this is the thing and I need to go now. And I hung up and then I called my husband and I did the same and I hung up and then I went and I ran to my shower and I broke down for about an hour. I sobbed in my shower. Um, 
And then I got up and I talked to a genetic counselor and I talked to my husband at length about what I wanted to do, which I already knew going in. And um, the rest of this year has been the journey of making plans and decisions for how I want to navigate this. And, um, there are a lot of different paths you can take if you know, you have the gene, um, to preventative, you know, preventative measures that you can take. Um, but I, I always knew what my answer would be. And so that's where I'm at right now and gearing up for the next chapter, which is equal parts terrifying, um, but also incredibly empowering because, I know that so many women don't have the opportunity to uh, take action, right, um, before it gets to them. And so this is me standing up to cancer and saying, you know, I'm going to not let you take me down. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. I think it's so, you know, brave that you you found the courage to go ahead and get after this test, this particular year, and and to to give yourself permission to kind of sit with those results, even though your intuition kind of knew deep down that, that it was a very high likelihood that you had it. I think that's so, it's very uh, poignant in a way that you, you had that kind of intuition going into it. You mentioned, um, there's a couple things that I, I want to ask you about, you know, you mentioned mm -hmm. that there's two forms of, of the BRCA gene. Can yeah. you share the difference between those? Yeah. So I just want to also explain what kind of BRCA is. So we actually all have these genes that are in them, in our bodies, um, and they're tumor suppressor proteins, essentially. So what they do is they eliminate the risk or, or alleviate the risk of getting breast and ovarian cancer. That's what BRCA is linked to is specifically breast and ovarian cancer, but also in smaller parts, pancreatic and melanoma. Um, and we'll go into the the percentages, I have them pulled up for you guys. Um, but, um, when you have a mutation of one of these genes, that's when you have a significant risk of developing either of those cancers in your lifetime. Um, and so, like I said, I have BRCA one, um, and it can be passed down genetically through your father or your mother. Um, it doesn't really like focus on gender at all. Um, and it, it, it is past a 50, 50 chance. So, you know, my brother has yet to get tested. Um, but he also has a 50, 50 chance just like I did. I know some people who have, you know, this in their family and their mother has BRCA, but none of them, none of the kids do. And I know ones who, you know, their father has BRCA and all of the kids do, you know, it just is, it's such a, a, a bag grab or whatever, you know? Um, so the differences are really in terms of the percentage of risk and with respect to which cancer. So, um, if you have BRCA, the BRCA one genetic mutation, um, your percentage risk of developing breast cancer is much higher. Um, so I have a 60 to 80% risk, um, over my lifetime of getting breast cancer, which is so much higher <laughs> than the average risk of a, a person without the mutation. Um, and in terms of ovarian cancer, I have like a 34 to 44% risk of developing it over my lifetime. Now, Amanda, is that the case for anyone with the BRCA1 form or is that? Correct. Okay. So those are their chances if you have the BRCA 
yeah. one gene. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So like general population for breast cancer, it, your risk is about 12%, which in and of itself is actually kind of high. Um, but you know, my risk is closer to 80, right? So that's just a, a much bigger percentage. Ovarian cancer is in the general population, like one to 2%, which is super, super low. Um, my risk is up to 44%. Okay. So, and then with the BRCA2 gene, what, mm -hmm. what about that one? Yeah. So BRCA2, um, is a little bit less from a breast cancer standpoint, but still pretty high. It's 50 to 70% chance. Um, and then the ovarian cancer is 12 to 20% risk. So, um, and you might see some varying percentages on different platforms you see, but these are all from, um, force, which is, um, which is a online platform, um, which is really, really great for, there's a couple of resources I can share with you that I love, but force.com F O R C E is a really great resource to getting specifics in terms of percentages and understanding your risk. Um, but yeah, so that's in terms of the breast and ovarian cancer, but there's also a link to pancreatic cancer, which is where it can see, also tend to show up more in men who have the genetic, are genetic carriers for this. Um, so BRCA1 is much lower in that, so 2 to 3%. So my dad has a much better – so being a, being a man and having BRCA1 is a lot better. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not great, but it's a lot better in terms of your risk potential um, than being a woman and having BRCA1. Whereas if he had BRCA2, there's a 20 to 30% link with um, pancreatic cancer or prostate cancer. Um so is it um, prostate cancer that you were referring to before, not yeah. pancreatic? Okay. No, pancreatic um, is for BRCA1. There isn't a link for prostate with BRCA1, but there is for BRCA2. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I was curious how that would affect men. So to clarify, mm -hmm. if a man has the BRCA1 gene, can you go over like what his what he's more vulnerable or yeah. susceptible to so versus obviously BRCA2? Yeah. So obviously they don't have ovaries, so there's no risk for ovarian cancer, but I mean, men, there are statistics that men can have breast cancer. It's much less likely because the tissue is a lot less dense. Um, yeah, and the lymph nodes are different. Um, but there is a risk there. Um, and then the pancreatic cancer is a two to 3% chance, um, okay. in, in any person, but men are probably more linked to that. Um, if they have BRCA2, um, it's a lot higher risk for men just because there's, there is a link to prostate cancer. That's much, much more on the board. Um, and the pancreatic cancer is about a three to 5% risk, which mm -hmm. is still low, but you know, something to think about. Um, and the chances of, um, linked male breast cancer patients are much higher within the BRCA2 population than the BRCA1. Girlfriend, thank you for sharing all this information with yeah. us. Cause that's, it's, it's helpful to not only have, you know, the, the, the potential outcomes shared, but also the risks involved, um, through those percentages. And I will absolutely include a link to force.com for anybody that is wanting more specific information. So I'm curious, you know, you had talked a little bit before about what your next steps are. Um, you know, before we get into that, I'm curious, you know, for somebody who gets this information, like your dad, for example, um, and, and even in your case, getting this information, you know, now you have the data or not the data, but you have the results, you have that in yep. your hand and, and mm -hmm. so to speak, you know, let's kind of go to your dad first for a man, you know, obviously I think that the, the, 
the immediate re reflection there is with him having children, specifically a daughter, um, and, and how that could be very, very critical information for you. Mm -hmm. And in return, in, in terms to his, uh, in regards to his own health, what would you say men do with that information if they don't have any children or, you know, knowing their risks for prostate cancer and pancreatic cancer? Like, has there been anything that you've discovered through this journey that you've learned that you can share on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I know what my dad has been informed to do. Um, obviously I know much more along my, my path and my dad found out when he was, you know, in his fifties. So it's very different than finding out in your twenties. Um, but I think just really, he's been much more diligent with his screenings, especially, especially like within the prostate stuff. Um, and just being really, really diligent about making sure he's going every six months and, um, and making sure that he's, he's being also as healthy, um, as he possibly can like exercise, um, like having five days of 30 minutes of, of rigorous exercise, whether that's, you know, you know, a really good walk or my dad's been really getting into strength training and, and, um, like some even high intensity interval training with me. Um, it's been really helpful for him, um, because that really lowers your chance of getting cancer. There are, are so many studies attached to that. Um, so that and, and eliminating processed foods and just being really good to his body from a, from a food perspective as well has been huge. Thank you for sharing that with us. Cause I know there are some males out there that listen to first and foremost, and I really want to make sure that, you know, we, you know, I, I gotta say, I had no idea that BRCA could affect men and you mm -hmm. have shed so much light on that. You know, as we're sitting here talking, my eyes are kind of like, Whoa, like I, my jaws open everything. I just, I had no idea that it also left men very susceptible to some cancers as well. Yeah. So you, you got this information. You said you knew all along what you were going to do. Can you tell us what your plans are? How are you? Yeah. What's, what's your course of action moving forward? Yeah. So, and I also want to preface this for anyone who is listening, who has history of breast cancer or ovarian cancer in your family or are more susceptible, or maybe, you know, that you have the BRCA gene. Um, and we can talk about, you know, maybe what might lead someone to get tested in the first place. Cause there are things outside of knowing that you have the gene in your family. Um, but I, uh, I knew that at, and as my genetic counselor told me, because that's a very important step. If you know, you have this gene, you go see a genetic counselor, they can lay out all the information for you, talk you through all your questions. It is a huge, huge, important thing and bring someone that you really trust to go with you so that you're not the only person taking that information. And in. that was huge. Um, but really there are two steps, right? Um, you can go through preventative screenings, um, and just be a lot more diligent with that. So that would have meant pretty much, um, every six months, um, getting, um, you know, mammograms and being really, really diligent and doing a yearly MRI. Um, and then also, um, going through with, uh, ovarian testing, which is a lot less, um, there's a lot less there. Um, there's a lot of studies and a lot of, um, research that is happening now for that, but, um, there's a lot less in terms of, of being able to actually acknowledge when you have ovarian cancer, it's really hard to catch, whereas it's a lot easier to catch breast cancer. Um, and, um, so either I could have done that or, um, I could really reduce my risk by 99%, um, by getting a preventative or in the medical world is called prophylactic double mastectomy. 
which, you know, in my words is cutting off my tits. <laughs> um, and, um, and just reducing that risk. And, you know, I knew going into this test that if it was positive, I was going to go through with the surgery because I, I am not a person that understands or wants to wait around for the potential of cancer. Um, I know that it is the, probably one of the most, if not the most, um, highly, um, you know, it's also, it's one in eight women get breast cancer in their lifetime, which is insane. Um, so it's very prominent, but because of that, there's been so much research and, and studies and so many things put into it that it is very, very easy to detect early on and to deal with. Um, and there are so many resources. Um, that being said, um, I don't want to do that. And, um, I don't want to have to take that risk. And so I have decided that I'm getting the surgery. I have it scheduled for December 3rd of this year. Um, and yeah, I, uh, it, it was an easy and hard decision all at once. Easy in the sense that I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, hard in the sense that I have no idea what it's going to look like on the other side and not what my boobs are going to look like. Cause honestly, I could not really care. Like <laughs> I don't really care. Um, but, um, you know, going through something like that is, is a really big thing. And I am terrified. I'm terrified of, of how I'm going to feel on the other side of, um, of what I'm going to have to navigate on the other side. Um, but I also know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm also really excited and, and just really, really ready to, to have it, have it be done with. Yeah. I commend you so much for going to that length. Cause I can imagine just how terrifying and scary and just all the things that that must be stirring up for you as you navigate this season in your life. And I can imagine that the, the first option that you shared of going through those preventative screenings, you know, is a less invasive way off the bat, you know, yes. kind of, you know, going forward. But yeah. even, even so, it, it's, it's pretty rigorous, you know, from what you shared in terms of getting those checkups done. And, um, and I'm sure you're probably living with a lot more fear over time in that particular path. I think, I think it's pretty brave to choose either one. And I think for you, you know, going forward and getting this surgery is just, uh, like, wow, what a decision. And so I'm over here just totally in your corner rallying for you. Um, as just kind of a curiosity, like, I don't know if this is a vain question to ask, mm. but yeah, your boobies, you know, yeah. like the breasts, they're such a big part of our kind of like oh identity God. as women, how are you yeah. feeling about letting them go? And then do you have any plans immediately to get implants or is that something yeah. you're thinking about? Uh, TMI no, question. Are, no, no, never. <laughs> Literally, you can ask me anything. There's nothing TMI in my world. Um, because this is, these are all the questions I had too. You know, I was like, okay, well, what does this mean? And, and I mean, I've thought beyond even the breast. I'm like, okay, do, what does this mean for like future kids? Do I want that? How does yeah, that work? Do I want to yeah. genetically pass? You know, there's so much stuff to think about, but when it comes to my boobs, I mean, I would, I would be lying if I didn't say that they were a very important part of my personal like 
womanhood. Um, I I really want listeners to know that Amanda and I both, when we've said boobs, have grabbed our boobs and literally (laughs) touched them. We're talking through video right now, and I just want people to know what's going on. You know, they're just so important. Like, I don't know. It's, It's interesting because on one hand, um, I don't, I've never really like, I'm, I'm a B cup. Like I've never really like had like a boob thing. Um, they've always just kind of been there. I've never really been like, you know, super into like playing them up. That's just never been something that I've, uh, in terms of like my aesthetic, I guess, um, have cared too much about, but like from, from a sexuality standpoint, like, I know not all women are this way, but like my boobs are a big part of that for me. And, um, it's a huge part of like how I, you know, feel the feels and like, and get off. And, and that's something that I've had to really come to terms with because I won't have that. I mean, when you, when you cut, (laughs) you know, like they go in and they take all of the tissue out, like there is no more feeling there. Um, and I have decided to, to do, um, it's called a direct to implant surgery. And there are a lot of different surgeries that um, you can go through actually by getting a, a, a mastectomy and it sort of depends on a, your, your cup size B, if you are getting, um, plastic surgery, if you want to, you know, increase in size or, you know, anything like that, then it can be a potential d- difference in terms of what you need to do for your surgeries. Um, but also just in, in terms of like what your body needs, cause everybody's different, right? Um, I'm young, I am in very good shape and, um, I knew that I didn't really care about going up or down a size <laughs> in terms of boobs. I just want my boobs to look pretty much as much close to the same as they do currently, just be rid of potentially future unhealthy tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did really struggle with the decision to get implants because I am, so, so, so much about wellness. And I really struggled with the idea of having something that was not real in my body. Like it would have never been something I would have pursued if it hadn't been for this surgery. Um, but I've done a lot of research and I really trust my surgeons. And I also know that the fact of the matter is that I, my acting side, at least I live in a world where, a lot of my job has to do with looks. And if I were, you know, boobless, it would be very challenging, um, especially at my age as an actor to get work. And that's just what it is. And that sucks to say, but it is the case. So um, I feel really good about my choice. um, And I um, am a candidate for what's called a direct to implant surgery. So, um, I only have to have one surgery unless something happens within the, the room and then my, you know, my surgeon will take other steps, but essentially it's a four to six hour procedure, um, where the breast surgeon comes in and removes all the tissue. And then the plastic surgeon takes over and puts in the, um, puts in, yeah, my implants and, sits me up on the table, make sure they look okay. This is a fun fact. Um, they like literally sit you up and like, make sure that it looks like fine and symmetrical and all that stuff. Um, and then, um, put you back and, and then that's, you know, that's my personal surgery that I, in, intend on going through with in December. If obviously if something changes, um, it might not be a one-step procedure. A lot of women that I know who have navigated this, um, are not candidates for that. So they go through a two-step procedure. So literally the breast surgeon removes all the tissue and they put something inside, um, the, the sockets, I guess, mm-hmm. called expanders. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and this helps stretch the tissues out so that when the surgeon comes back in, um, to put the implants in, um, it's, they make sure there's enough space and that everything is really like looking good. And, um, yeah, there's a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of stuff attached to that. It's pretty cool that with modern science, like they can go ahead and do the, the two surgeries, bring in two highly qualified surgeons to kind of like do both in one setting. You know, I think that that that's pretty awesome that they can do that these days and that you're a candidate for that. So mm-hmm. what about, you mentioned, um, just like that, what does that mean down the road? Like with, with, uh, parenting and stuff, um, yeah. w- what does it mean with breastfeeding and things like that? I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I, I know that's a big factor for a lot of women for why they wait to get the surgeries. Cause they want to have kids, um, because breastfeeding is really important to them. Um, for me, waiting is just too scary. And, um, if that means that I, you know, down the road, I don't know if I want kids, but if I do, um, they just won't be breastfed mm-hmm. and, um, because I literally won't be able to produce milk. So, okay. um, you know, that's, that's something that you definitely have to consider. Okay. Um, but the risk just outweighed that decision for me personally. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. But in terms of the other stuff, I mean, there's a lot of things to consider. Um, One, you know, how you feel about the potential of passing the gene down, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because ultimately it is a 50-50 chance. So, you know, if I were to have a kid the old-fashioned way, um, you know, chances are that they would also have the gene and and also go through this. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if I want to put that on a future child of mine... um, you know, and the other thing is that there's, you know, the option to do IVF, which in and of itself is a very, you know, expensive and challenging thing that a lot of women navigate, um, for, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but you know, the beauty of modern science, which we were just, you know, saying is that they are actually able to genetically test all of the embryos, um, before, you know, they, they insert them to see if it has the mutation. So you can specifically choose, you know, assuming of course that you get enough eggs through the process, which in and of itself is a very challenging thing. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's a possibility too. So modern science is crazy. (laughs) I'm I'm just like my, I'm literally soaking up so much information from you today because it is really amazing what we have available to us through mm-hmm. modern science. Amanda, yeah. we kind of touched a little bit on like, you know, if you're predisposed, if there's like history, that insurance can be very helpful in this. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you with the surgeries that you have moving forward, has insurance been gracious in that sense or has it been kind of a headache? Yeah, I've had one headache moment. Um, but it was because paperwork bullshit. It was not because they were unwilling to pay for things. Um, so personally I've been very blessed. Um, you know, I have really great insurance in the United States that, um, is going to be covering the majority of it, um, which out of pocket, uh, a double mastectomy is about $70,000, which Ooh. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, that's in the United States and at the time that we we're talking in 2018, but you know, um, it's, I'm very lucky that, uh, it's been so far pretty good and that what the one blip it was has been, you know, figured out and rectified. Um, 
maybe that'll change in a couple months. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you in the loop, but, um, you know, <laughs> insurances here tend to be kind of a piece of crap. Um, but, um, I, I know a lot of women who've struggled a lot, um, and, and not all plans are so gracious and, and wonderful. So I know it can be, it can be really challenging, to navigate this without the support of that, especially in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, Amanda, just as, as your friend, you know, you've inspired me to be proactive in this. And one hiccup that I have run into growing up in foster care and not knowing my family history is that a lot of the places that I've called to ask about getting this uh, screening done, um, and even through calling with my insurance, they need to have some kind of indication that there's some kind of reason in your history that you'd get tested. And I feel kind of frustrated because, Mm -hmm. you know, and somebody, there's probably a lot of people that are in similar shoes as mine who have no idea what their family history is. And they're at a, a profound risk as well, just not having that information. And um, you know, it's a disadvantage for sure, I feel. And, and I'm not sure yet, for those of you that are listening, I'm not sure yet, you know, what my next course of action is in getting tested. Um, however, I do know somebody else who actually is getting um, her surgery done. She has the BRCA gene as well. She's uh, a little bit older, but she's getting her surgeries done in two steps uh, starting this month. And then the mm-hmm. follow-up will be in a few months. And she shared with me a site where you can order, I think for either a hundred dollars or a couple hundred dollars, a mail, a mail at home test where you can get that test done and send it back to a lab and get those results. I've heard some mixed feedback on how accurate it is. So I'm kind of in the middle of doing some research myself, but I will for sure share that in the show notes, a link to that. Amanda, are you familiar with that? Yeah, I, so I, there's a couple of other resources too that I want to point everyone to because they've been incredibly helpful for me, but there's an organization that's a nonprofit called the breasties Mm -hmm. and it's specifically geared towards women who are survivors of of breast and ovarian cancer, but also previvors, um, which is a term actually we're talking on national previvor day, which is so ironic, but it's a term for women who, um, have taken action because they know they have uh, a genetic or hereditary link to cancer. Um, And so um, they have so many incredible resources um, on their website, but also on their Instagram page. Um, And uh, one of the founders um, was talking to me about this this company. I think it's called Color Something. I'll try to see if I can get the information for you. I'll reach out to her. Um, But they, yeah, they do these at-home genetic tests. Um, I think she said it was about $99 to be able to do that, which is a much more affordable option. And she said that, I mean, she's, she's, she's very well versed in the medical community. Um, and so I think she, she, she vouches for it. Obviously like I, I can't, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know, but I imagine that it's, it's quite a, a good test if she's vouching for it. So, um, I'll, I'll get that information for you so you can put it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I mean, out of pocket, it's very expensive. And I mean, it's, I'm, I feel very privileged. I am very privileged, right? I'm, I'm owning that, that I'm, I'm living in that space where I, I'm able to be able to, you know, go through this, have the, have the kind of insurance that allows me to do this, have the, the knowledge, um, you know, that so many don't, um, and so I, I own that so, so, so much. And I wish that there were more resources, but I'm hoping more companies like this start popping up that really allow people to 
have access to it in a, in a way more tangible way. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing all that with us. I um, will absolutely include all of this in the show notes because we have gone over, you've shared so many incredible resources to just kind of explore and learn more about and really to take action with. If, yeah. if you're listening today and you know maybe you, you already know you have the BRCA gene or you know that there's at least a history in your family with it or maybe you're like me and you, you, you have no access to knowing if you have that history or not. Um, but either way, no matter where you're at, I hope that you know by listening to today's episode, you've been you know equipped with some tools to empower yourself, to go ahead and take care of yourself through getting those booby friends checked out and doing <laughs> something to just be in that I love what you said there with that one website, um, the Previver, you know, really, really kind of taking that action to move in a positive direction to just really get that knowledge and information so that you have it and you can, you know, know your, your choices and your options. Amanda, thank you so much for being here today. You are just such a ray of light, my friend. I know I've said that before, but it really is like <laughs> the best way to describe your essence and Thank you for the wealth of knowledge that you've shared. And really, I hope that, yeah, I wish you so well with your surgery coming up. I know you're going to just rock it. And um, I like want to give you like a badass t-shirt that day or something. Ah, like really, we got to, we, we need to talk about like, what would you wear? What do you want to wear that day? But um, <laughs> anyway, I am so grateful for you and just your, your wisdom that you shared with us today. Thank you so much for taking time out to chat. And there you have it. Thank you guys for listening to this conversation and for all of the show notes and everything we talk about in today's episode um, and beyond. Check out um, www.amandacatherineloy.com. That's Catherine with a K, like koala, forward slash podcast, forward slash 39. And thank you so much, Jen, for facilitating such a beautiful conversation and holding, allowing me to hold space for this, this topic and this upcoming endeavor um, and journey and everything in between. Um, it's really, really been such a whirlwind and I'm just so, so grateful and honored to be able to share all of this with you. If this episode impacted you personally, or you know, someone in your life who is um, struggling, has somebody in their family who's had breast or ovarian cancer, maybe they have the gene themselves or maybe just maybe you you found that this was something that helped you feel less alone. Share this with with them. Um, share this with all of your people because really truly, when we bound together and show up as a giant force, that is when the magic happens, and that is when uh, we as women can come together in such an empowered way. And I know that I need that more now than ever, and I'm guessing you do too. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. You are the absolute best. And until next week, I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.